God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. What relationships have given shape to your identity? Maybe state my question more succinctly. Who has shaped you? Many of us can point to a teacher who introduced us to our favorite subject or author. Many can recall a friend who brought us into a particular style of music or our favorite band. And sometimes, to our chagrin, we'll find ourselves sharing an opinion and then say, oh gosh, I sound just like my mother. (laughs) She would have said that. We're all shaped, all of us, by our community, consciously and unconsciously. In my previous gig, my old job, I worked for the Episcopal Church's Office of Lifelong Formation. I was the young adult and college-specific minister, but I really loved the title of the office, the name of the larger office, Lifelong Formation. It reminds us that no matter our age or our sense of maturity, we are, all of us, in formation. We all have been formed. We continue to be formed. So how are you shaping up? At the end of today's gospel, Jesus sets the bar pretty high. Be perfect. You know, like God is perfect. It's a little high. A priest friend in Connecticut recently wrote that while perhaps Beyonce wakes up feeling flawless... Most of us rise from bed a few minutes late, somewhat dehydrated, and in great need of a tissue. (laughs) Certainly no one removes a sleep apnea mask and declares, I woke up like this. (laughs) Perfection can seem unachievable. I think part of the problem we have with this gospel is a problem of translation. You see, perfect in English, it misses part of the sense of the word in Greek. The word in Greek is telos. If you've studied Aristotle, you've heard that word, telos. It means perfection, yes, but it's more directional. To engage in seeking teleological perfection is to journey with purpose, to move toward a point at the horizon, which is perfection. According to Aristotle, in life we don't reach telos. Perfection is the goal toward which we strive. Perfect, in this sense, is not the enemy of the good. Perfect is the direction toward which the good is shaped. Thousands of years of doctrinal development away, it can be important to remember how most people encountered Jesus. Publicly, Jesus was a preacher a very talented preacher. His words, his phrases shaped people. His words, edited together by the gospel writers, still shape people. And these weeks of Epiphany, we're spending time with the greatest sermon we have, the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we preachers relate to our great preacher? In great mosques on Friday, the imam climbs the minbar, the pulpit, to deliver a sermon. And traditionally, Islamic pulpits aren't like our pulpit. The stairs face out toward the congregation. 
And the Friday preacher climbs up several stairs and then turns around and delivers the sermon. But in the mosque, the preacher traditionally stops one step short of the top. This reminds him and the gathered crowd that every mosque's primary preacher is not the current person talking, but the prophet himself. The preacher of the day gives a sermon, but is a substitute. Formation belongs to the master. So with a similar sense of humility, I want to offer a couple of thoughts on Jesus' words from today's sermon. Jesus turns his hearers' expectations upside down. You have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These words may seem foolish in today's climate, irresponsible even. But this is the perfection towards which Christians have sought to be shaped. Jesus' words today, reading them like this in this kind of atmosphere, it can create a sense of tension. I want to stop and hold in that tension for a moment. The formation is happening all our life long, at all times, and formation can happen when we're tense. If you've ever climbed up a mountain to the edge of tree line and seen the bristly little pine trees up high, you've seen tense formation in action. Pine trees up that high have raw bark on one side of their trunk and just a couple of branches pointing out in the other direction. They look like scraggly little flagpoles. Those sad little trees have been blown into their shape by the wind that howls constantly over the peaks. I bring up these little trees because the winds seem mighty strong these days. Will you be shaped by incivility? Will you respond to hatred with hatred? Will you respond to mockery with mockery? Will you meet cynicism with cynicism? A few months ago, I shared with you something I had learned about Jesus' words. These particular words we hear again today. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. That line can seem pretty pathetic, weak. But I once heard an African theologian explain how she read strength in Jesus' words. She said that to turn the other cheek, you had to turn your whole face. Turning the other cheek means looking your assailant in the eye. It means facing hatred with humanity. Jesus strikes a similar vein of wisdom with another oft-quoted line in this sermon. Go the extra mile. Anybody heard that one before? You might have seen those words on one of those black-bordered motivational posters that seem to hang in every human resources office. (laughs) Maybe they were under a pair of running shoes. Go the extra mile. Well, these words, they belong to Jesus. And they are as surprisingly radical as anything he preached. Go the extra mile referred to a specific policy in the Roman Empire. Rome learned this tactic from Persia, an earlier empire with great territorial ambition. 
If anyone forces you to go one mile, references the power that every Roman soldier held over anyone who lived in the territory conquered by Rome. As the soldiers marched across the empire on Rome's highways, they carried heavy equipment. When a soldier got tired or simply didn't like the look on someone's face or how they were dressed, by law, that soldier could impress a bystander to carry his pack for up to one mile. But no more. But he could make somebody carry his pack for up to a mile. All along the road, there were mile markers to facilitate this service to the empire. In this context, Jesus' words, go also the second mile, would have shocked his hearers. This policy was hated, understandably, by occupied people. Being forced to march away from your work, to spend precious time and energy for no pay, was humiliating. Why would Jesus want to make it worse? But as a tactic for calling the system of oppression into question... Jesus' idea has legs. Can you imagine the Roman soldier looking at the tired farmer who he's just marched a mile away from his field as the man sets off another mile down the road? You don't have to continue, the soldier might blurt. The oppressor is forced to see beyond his prejudices. The soldier is faced with another human being someone who is paying him a kindness, and he has to ask questions about the legal and social framework empowering some at the expense of others. Go the extra mile. This tactic reminds me of another preacher, a man who stood just a step below Jesus. I've seen Dr. King's words, his commentary on Jesus' sermon on many signs and t-shirts lately. Maybe you've seen these words lately as well. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. These days, I think we are becoming, we're having to become more conscious about the question, who is shaping you? Who do you friend on Facebook? Who do you follow on Twitter? Who do you read? Who do you listen to? Who do you watch on television? In a political climate that seems to reward rumor, bragging lies, and hate speech, in a social media world that rewards salacious rumors and outrageous headlines with more clicks and likes, it can be easy to become blown about by the wind. Question the value of that formation. If you find yourself anxious because of something you're reading in the paper or on some blog site, if you find yourself angry in response to a news story on the radio, hit pause. Go and find some good news. Facebook won't point you there. Twitter won't raise these items up to the top of the feed. You'll have to go and look. Could you be more intentional about the news that you allow to shape you, to shape your attitude, to shape your emotions? Could you start your day by reading some poetry or pick up a collection of Dr. King's sermons? 
Could you take the time to reconnect with a friend or spiritual advisor over the phone, or better yet, over a meal? Could you take some time to walk down in Tower Grove Park? Keep an eye out for the owls. Look for good news. When you look, the good news is everywhere. Still, I promise, it's there. Could you start your day by opening up the Bible? Go and find the good news, the gospel. Spend your time with Jesus, the master preacher. See, if you're on your smartphone clicking through articles and getting angry before you even get out of bed in the morning, well, you're already starting the day so many steps behind Beyonce. (laughs) Could you get intentional about your formation? A number of us gathered here on Wednesday night as we continued our conversation about faith and activism. And we read an article by Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest, and Mary Haggerty, a parishioner, shared it with us. His writing focus was on the connection between political activism and contemplative prayer. And Richard says, unless we are deeply formed, all our activism is likely to do nothing more than burn us out. Here's what he says. There's one reason most revolutions fail. To many reformers, too many reformers, self-destruct from within. For that very reason, I believe, Jesus and the great spiritual teachers first emphasize transformation of consciousness and soul. Unless that happens, there's no lasting or grounded reform or revolution. When a subjugated people rise to power, they often become as controlling and dominating as their oppressors because the same demon of power has never been exercised in them. We need less reformation and more transformation. Go the extra mile. These words from Jesus ask us to question our operating assumptions. If you really want to resist systems of oppression, Jesus says, surprise the oppressors with persistence with kindness, with service, with love. Be formed, deeply formed, by life-giving love. This isn't easy work Jesus is setting us out on. And we won't get there alone. And perfection isn't a goal that any of us can reach on our own. To stretch in that direction, we will need to be intentional about our formation. We need solid communities who know how to support and challenge one another. Communities like Holy Communion intends to be. We'll need friendships. We'll need worship. We'll need to return again and again to word and to table. And we will need the words of Jesus. To reach for perfection, we will need to ask, who is shaping me? Amen.